Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Sodium is a mineral that's essential for life. It's regulated by the kidneys and helps control the body's fluid balance, sends nerve impulses, and affects muscle function. In older adults, high salt diets coupled with low physical activity, can be detrimental to cognitive health and also increase risk for heart disease. Today, my guest is Lisa Muris, registered dietitian with the Outpatient Diabetes and Nutrition Program at Virginia Hospital Center. She's going to provide details about sodium intake for older adults and why too much salt can cause serious health conditions for this population. She'll also talk about sodium levels in packaged and restaurant food, how to read food labels, and ways to consume less salt. So welcome, Lisa, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Cheryl. Okay, well, Lisa, best way to start, because there's always so much confusion about the difference between salt and sodium. Are they the same thing? Not technically. Um, Sodium is a mineral. Um, It is basically one of the chemical elements that we'll find in salt. And often when we think of salt, we're thinking of table salt, which is a combination of sodium and chloride. Um, When you're referring to sodium, perhaps in a product, there could be other types of um, salts within there. So we we may think of sodium chloride, but it also could be sodium citrate, sodium bicarbonate. Um, There are some other names for sodium. So not exactly the same thing. So I mentioned in my introduction about uh, sodium being, and as you said too, the mineral and and what its function is in the body. Is is that kind of the same thing? The primary purposes of salt and 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 why does the human body need salt? Maybe you can expand on what I said in the intro. Right. You mentioned several functions of um, sodium in the body, Um, those muscle and nerve functions, of course. Um, Sodium plays a big role in helping keep body fluids in balance. Um, So that's one reason why we do need sodium in our diet. Um, In terms of food, there's a number of reasons sodium might be added to to food products. Um, It could be used for curing meats um, as a leavening ingredient. Um, It helps with preservation, enhancing flavor. Um, So there are also reasons why it might be added to food products um, to help make those taste better or look better. Um, So a lot of different roles, whether it's in the body or whether it's in food products. And I want to be talking about that a little bit later, but I think the most important or an an important uh, aspect here is 
help us understand how much salt is needed for these bodies, you know, the body's vital functions. It's estimated that we need about 500 milligrams of sodium each day for those basic vital functions you were discussing. Um, There's no recommended dietary allowance for sodium. There's really not enough data to say exactly what that is. Um, The latest U.S. dietary guidelines recommend that adults and children 14 and up limit their sodium to about 2,300 milligrams or about one teaspoon per day. Um, Unfortunately, most of us consume much more than that. Um, It's generally a problem of too much sodium in the diet, as you referenced in your intro, um, versus not getting enough. And do you think that people with pre-existing health conditions, uh, and and we hear a lot about that, especially amongst the older population, um, do do you think that they uh, consume too much salt? Or if they consume too much salt, are they more vulnerable to disease and death? Maybe you could go into maybe a little bit of pre-existing health conditions and then talk about possible vulnerability. Sure. I think it helps to understand um, what's happening when we have excess sodium in our bodies. Um, When you have extra sodium in your bloodstream, it pulls water into your blood vessels, which increases the total amount or volume of blood inside of them. So as you have more blood flowing through these blood vessels, um, that can increase our blood pressure. Um, You can kind of think about it as a a garden hose. You turn on the faucet to a a garden hose and the water starts flowing rapidly through it. That's going to increase the pressure in the hose. And the same thing is happening in our body. So over time, having high blood pressure, having that increased volume can injure or um, overstretch those blood vessels. Um, And so obviously that makes the heart work harder. Um, The heart has to work harder to force that blood throughout the body. Um, That is known as hypertension. um, And uh, we often think about it just in terms of having high blood pressure. Unfortunately, it's um, something where we don't often have symptoms. Um, We don't necessarily know we have hypertension unless, you know, something your your doctor has been working with you on, but it puts us at a high risk for heart disease. other conditions that having too much sodium in our diet can cause issues would be um, increasing your risk for kidney damage because of course the kidneys are helping try to filter out that extra salt um, and over time that can damage them as well. I work in diabetes and um, you see a number of patients that have diabetes along with hypertension. And the issue there is with diabetes, the blood circulation already is poor related to to the hyperglycemia or high blood sugar. Um, And then you add hypertension, you know, that stress of increased blood pressure, it further increases the risk of heart disease um, or or a stroke there. So a couple other, you know, conditions can make um, the situation worse. And certainly hypertension or high blood pressure is the idea that you know we really are increasing that flow of blood through the body and over time it can increase that risk for heart disease or stroke. I'm hoping at some point to actually have a whole program on hypertension, but seems that it's it's very prevalent or often prevalent in older adults. And is that are you finding that 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 the high salt diet is one of the major factors in terms of the high rate of of hypertension in this country? I mean, I'm just really curious to what, what you would say. 
I believe it, it definitely um, contributes for sure. Uh, we do know that as adults age, you know, blood pressure does increase even outside of diet. Um, we will see that. But then you add the issue of um, high sodium in the diet. And of course, that's going to make the situation even worse. Um, so, so it becomes um, even more difficult to control that blood pressure um, when, when it's coming also from our diet as well as through aging um, as well. And one thing that I had also, again, mentioned in the introduction was cognitive health. I mean, you've been mentioning now about cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, diabetes. Is Are there possibilities of, of some kind of impact of high-salt diets on cognitive health for older adults? Well, I would say that... Um... You know, I think generally we're seeing it in the risk of cardiovascular disease most often. Um, you know, the case where that sodium is accumulating in the body and, and um, the body just doesn't have that ability to deplete it as well as, as fast as it should. Um, and we have that increased blood volume, which is more work for the heart and more pressure on, on the blood vessels. Um, I, I think, you know, oftentimes it's that risk of, of a heart attack or stroke, um, and then possibly we may have, you know, effects cognitively related to something like a stroke that, that I would say in my work I see most often. Okay, well, I wanted to, as I was preparing these questions for you, I, besides everything that you've been talking about already, I came across, uh, and I'm sure you know this, but I, that's why I want to hear from you, is the hyponatremia. Uh, what, what is that? What are the causes? And why is it common amongst older adults? Tell, tell us about that. Give us some, an understanding. Sure. Um, hyponatremia is a, a term used to describe abnormally low amounts of sodium in the blood. So we think of hypo, that means low. So this is a case where, you know, we have too little sodium in the blood. Um, this does occur mainly in older adults, particularly those living in long-term long-term care facilities or hospitals. Um, and oftentimes it will come along with certain medications um, that deplete the body of sodium. Um, diuretics would be one example there that can lead to that um, hyponatremia. Um, it, it is something, you know, that can be serious. Um, it, it certainly will have, you know, different levels of severity. Um, in some cases, it can be mild and some, you know, more um, simple treatments such as adjusting medication can be done. Um, there are more extreme situations, you know, where the blood sodium levels fall very quickly. And in those cases, um, we could have, you know, some of those cognitive symptoms, you know, confusion, altered mental status, um, as well as nausea, vomiting, lethargy, um, you know, in very serious cases, seizures. Um, so in, in a very serious situation like that, you know, we would have to have someone having um, some type of repletion of sodium intravenously. Again, with a, a more mild type of um, case, um, perhaps it's shown up in the lab work, that would be a case possibly where medications could be adjusted. We may have some restrictions on water intake, um, just you know, uh, some tweaks there to kind of treat that root cause. Um, so it, it can really depend um, on the situation as to whether you know, more serious steps need to be taken or if it's something more gradual. And I, I'm curious to uh, uh, expand on what you said about possible medications. You mentioned diuretics. Since oftentimes older adults are likely to be taking more kinds of medications besides diuretics, are there other medications that could be uh, causing uh, hyponatremia? 
Um, sometimes it can be related to um, congestive heart failure. So, so there are some cases where, you know, we're having too much fluid collecting in the body because of treatment for congestive heart failure. So there could be some medications related to that as well. Um, in, in my experience, you know, oftentimes it is patients that are, you know, in more serious um, levels of the disease, I would say, um, and are possibly on, on multiple medications. Um, I, I think the diuretics um, or, or ones for um, congestive heart failure are the ones I'm most familiar with. All right. So we've talked about hyponatremia and the opposite, of course, would be hypernatremia. So tell us about that, causes and is that also common amongst older adults? And talk about symptoms and treatment. Right. So, so that is kind of the opposite, hypernatremia. Um, in this case, we've got too much sodium in the blood. Um, this basically occurs when there's either um, too much water loss or basically too much sodium coming in. So it's a bit of a, a fluid and sodium imbalance. Um, this is something often that will happen with older adults who have perhaps um, a decreased ability to know they're thirsty. So they're taking in less fluids, um, perhaps taking in less food as well. So um, this could be something you might see when someone has perhaps a physical or mental impairment where they're not eating and drinking enough um, and are, are having that type of, of case. Um, there are some situations where, again, a medication might be linked to this, um, or it could be something where, you know, someone is having a lot of um, sweating or, or just sort of loss of fluid um, that's causing that buildup there of sodium in the body. Um, so kind of just like a hyponatremia can kind of differ in terms of severity. It could be a more mild case, um, which may just, you know, need some changes with the fluid intake um, to correct that water deficit and replace any ongoing water losses, or it could be something that requires hospitalization and, and needs more aggressive treatment. Um, so again, would depend on the situation with that particular person. And are the, the symptoms, I wasn't quite sure, are the symptoms the same for hypernatremia as hyponatremia? You said nausea, vomiting? Yeah, yeah, there's some overlap there. Um, with, with hypernatremia, we do have some of those sort of um, gastrointestinal symptoms of nausea, vomiting, um, the, the lethargy or weakness. Um, often when it gets to the stage, a patient, even if they do have the inability to really know um, how to respond to thirst normally, they will have more intense thirst. It just become much more apparent when we get to those um, later stages of hypernatremia. Um, and in worst case situations, we can have some kidney damage done um, because of that um, excess sodium in the body. One thing that occurs to me, Lisa, is that, uh, you know, both of these, both hyponatremia as well as hypernatremia, um, very specifically, you know, either too much or too little salt. And given where we are with the pandemic right now, although it's lessening to some degree in terms of social isolation, did you in your practice see that you were seeing more older adults having one or the other of these two um, conditions? I, th I think we've seen a few more mild cases of um, the hypernatremia um, and just, I think, people that, as you said, have been more isolated, have not had um, perhaps family or friends checking in on them as often and have not been eating or drinking fluids um, perhaps as well as they should. 
Um, so I haven't seen any severe cases, thankfully, but um, I have seen somewhere, you know, we have seen some some changes with that, that fluid balance, because again, I think the, the isolation and just um, maybe perhaps for some people, the inability to obtain their groceries on a, on a regular basis has um, caused them to not really um, stick to normal eating patterns. Something to certainly be watchful for, mm -hmm. uh, even though things are changing a little bit, but um, since it's uh, such a specific uh, condition um, amongst older adults. Another area that I wanted to kind of expand a little bit on, Lisa, is the relationship between sodium and potassium, um, because we hear a lot about potassium, too much or too little. So give us a bit of a tutorial on the relationship between these two. Are they both minerals, and what are the effects of, of each in the human body? You we talked a little bit about sodium, but how does sodium compare to potassium um, as you're looking at these two? Are they both minerals? I guess that's probably the first question. I mean, obviously, we know sodium is a mineral, but potassium also? It is. It is also a mineral, um, and it is also something that the human body does need to stay healthy. Um, the roles of potassium in the body relate to um, regulating heartbeat. Uh, it in, also has a role in the, the proper function of muscles and nerves. Um, it helps with synthesizing protein, metabolizing carbohydrates. Um, so it also has some vital roles in the body, just as sodium does. Um, the relationship between potassium and sodium is one where potassium, foods particularly with potassium, help us control our blood pressure by blunting the effects of sodium. So basically, the more potassium you eat, the more sodium you process out of the body. Um, potassium helps relax blood vessels, um, the blood vessel walls in, in particular, which um, unlike sodium will lower blood pressure. Sodium is going to be more one that's going to increase blood pressure, particularly over time. Um, so both important um, minerals to have in the body, um, but we do have sort of that relationship where the um, more potassium you have in your diet, the, the lower your sodium can often be. So if I understand correctly, then do human beings, all kind of human beings, older, younger, all, need more potassium than sodium? Well, the issue is that um, in the average American diet, we um, fall short on potassium. Um, it has been what is called a, a nutrient of concern um, for, for many years now. Um, most Americans, men and women, don't make the recommendations for potassium. Um, most of us fall short of that. Whereas um, with sodium, as I mentioned before, we often take in too much sodium. So, so we do, do need more potassium in our diet and less sodium, um, particularly if we wanna have a way of fighting um, high blood pressure. And we are gonna be talking more about sources and, and labels and that in terms of sodium, but since we're on the topic of potassium, we could do a little bit of education here. What are, since people do fall short of potassium, what are some of the best uh, uh, sources for, for potassium? Dietary sources, uh, help us on that. Fresh fruits and vegetables um, are, are really gonna be one of your best sources of potassium. Um, I, I think uh, many people think of bananas, of course, um, the, that's probably one of the, the most common one, but um, potatoes, both white and sweet potatoes are an excellent source of potassium. 
uh, dark leafy greens such as kale, spinach, um, collard greens, those are all great sources of potassium. Um, we can find them in beans, particularly dry beans. Um, those are a good source of potassium as well. Um, and then different types of tomato products. So um, that could be fresh tomatoes. It could also be tomato sauces. Um, those are all also good sources of potassium in our diet. I think bottom line, um, and I know we'll, we'll talk a bit more about this in just a bit, but um, many of the products that are packaged products are high sources of sodium. Whereas we think with potassium, it's gonna be much more of those whole foods, those whole fruits and vegetables, which as we know, many, many Americans do fall short on. So if you really wanna increase the potassium in your diet, trying to focus on more fruits and vegetables is a great way to do it. And based on what you had said about why you need potassium, are there then risks of not consuming enough potassium? Are you more at risk of certain conditions then? Yeah, it, it certainly, as we talked about just a, a few minutes ago about that relationship of blood pressure, how um, potassium can help relax those um, blood vessels where sodium is helping more constrict them and, and making the heart work harder. So by not having enough potassium in your diet, um, it, it's sort of that, that same effect of having too much sodium in your diet in that you are at a higher risk for increased blood pressure, as well as possibly increasing your risk for um, cardiovascular disease. And can you have too much potassium? I actually know somebody who was got had blood work and uh, was told that he had too much potassium, and so so I was just curious if if that can also be a problem. It can be. Um, in most cases, um, if I'm working on. Um, with a patient who's trying to control the potassium in their diet, um, it is in most cases with some type of kidney disease. Um, as we get older, um, our kidneys are not as efficient as removing potassium from our bodies. And then if we have a case of, of chronic kidney disease where the, where the kidneys are not working um, quite as effectively as we would like, we can have a buildup of potassium in the body. Um, and, and that certainly can be dangerous um, since we know it does have a, a big role in you know regulating fluids and um, blood pressure. So that can be something certainly that um, would need to have some adjustments done, whether it's diet or whether it's even some type of uh, medication that can help with that. So yes, it can. I would say for someone who doesn't have kidney disease, not as big of a concern. Okay. And and diuretics wouldn't necessarily be prescribed, would it? No, oftentimes it, it would be um, some type of um, binder that's going to help get that, that potassium out of the body, that excess okay. potassium. Well, we're going to take a short break right here. Uh, we are talking with Lisa Muras, registered dietitian with the Outpatient Diabetes and Nutrition Program at Virginia Hospital Center. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're talking with Lisa Muras, 
registered dietitian with the Outpatient Diabetes and Nutrition Program at Virginia Hospital Center. And we learned a lot about the function of salt, also about potassium. But now we want to talk a little bit more about what we find and how we can learn uh, be better consumers of the right amount of salt. So, Lisa, I'd like to just start out by just asking do people consume more salt than they need? It sounds like they do, but I just want to get the experts' advice on this. Yes, they they do. Um, as we mentioned before, um, you know, the the dietary guidelines are, are recommending you know no more than about twenty three hundred milligrams of sodium per day, and it's estimated that the typical American diet contains about 3,400 milligrams. So we are exceeding um, already that maximum amount that's recommended. Um, and most of the sodium in our diet doesn't necessarily come from the salt shaker. Um, you know, it's not from us putting it on our food. It's really coming more from eating out and packaged or convenience foods is where most of it in your typical American diet is coming from. And since you are in the uh, the diabetes and nutrition program at Virginia Hospital Center, do you see that people of all ages, obviously this is aging matters, but I was curious to know if if it's across the board that we all consume too much salt, um, or is are there certain populations or certain age groups or maybe uh, certain um, uh, you know different races or genders or what? Just kind of tell us a little bit more about what you see in your work. I would say it really goes across all ages, genders, races, I mean, just across the board, we really all consume too much sodium. Um, and the bottom line is, is because there's too much in packaged foods. And, and it's not very often that I run into somebody who does, you know, all their own cooking for everything. Um, you know, we're certainly going to be buying some packaged products and, and, you know, some people buy more than others. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, it also comes from eating out and you know, as you and your listeners are aware, as the years have gone by, you know, the population is much more likely to eat out. Um, and I certainly will see that in my younger patients who, you know, tend to, you know, grab a breakfast on the way to work or um, even, you know, if they're working from home now, might take a break and order something and then pick up something for dinner. And then on the other end of the scale, I'll see it for my older patients who, you know, spend a whole lifetime cooking for their family and really don't feel like doing that anymore. Um, so they might be getting a lot more convenience packaged foods as well as eating out. So it, it really goes just across the board. I think it's, it's very prevalent for, for most of us. And as I said, the bottom line is there's just too much of it um, in the pot products that we buy, as well as the foods that we're purchasing from restaurants. So let's move to the, exactly what you're saying. As in your work uh, and, and, and training, why do packaged and prepared foods contain so much salt? Yeah, as we mentioned before, um, you know, sodium certainly has some roles um, in, in packaged food, again, relating to taste and texture and, and preservation, um, but there, there's just too much of it. We, we don't need as much that are in there. Um, I, I think from the idea of a food manufacturer, there, there's a bit of um, trepidation about reducing the amount of sodium because they are scared that the population is not going to think it tastes as good. Um, because with salt, you really um, can start to develop a, a preference. So basically, you know, when you have something that's fairly 
high in salt, you kind of get used to that, that type of flavor. And then if you try it and it has much less salt, it, it's very apparent to you. Now, I will say in my work, that can change. Um, you know, it is certainly possible to, to cut back on the sodium in your diet and your, your taste buds, your body adjusts and you will not have a, as such a, you know, strong notice of, of how different it tastes to you. You certainly can kind of change that over time. But in the beginning, it does taste different and it takes a little get getting used to. So I think um, in the cases of food manufacturers, there's just been a, a bit of um, being nervous about reducing that sodium and possibly having people not purchase their products. It's interesting if you compare the sodium levels in some products that are sold in the United States and in Europe, um, even for the same products, you know, perhaps a, a brand of cereal that's exactly the same in the United States as in, um, in Europe, there's still a difference in sodium, um, that there will be less in, in some of those products overseas because there's just a difference um, sort of in taste and perception in the United States versus other countries for sodium. And thank you for bringing up the breakfast cereals. I mean, I just find that so hard. I'm a big breakfast cereal eater, and uh, I did look on the the labels, and I was I was really surprised. I mean, you don't think about how you really need salt in the morning with your breakfast cereal when you maybe should be putting a little sugar and berries or whatever, bananas. Um, but even breakfast cereals, why? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of products that you don't necessarily taste salty. So we don't necessarily think that they're high in sodium, um, but there's a lot of salt added, a lot of sodium added um, in the manufacturing process. Um, so, so it is, again, something that we kind of develop that preference for um, and, and just don't even notice at all. Um, and if we, we perhaps get a bit into to label reading, I think breakfast cereals are one thing where that's important because um, we don't always use the proper serving on a breakfast cereal. I think that's a very common product where the, the actual nutrition facts label has a different serving than the one we might pour into our bowl. Well, okay. I, I wanted to um, find out about what are the top sources of sodium in our diets. And as I understand it, there's different uh, organizations that have uh, different um, uh, lists, but tell us about the American Heart Association, since we've been talking about cardiac disease. According to this organization, what are the top six sources of sodium in our diets? The American Heart Association refers to um, those top sources of sodium in our diet as the salty six. Um, so kind of a nice way to be able to remember that. Um, some of them you might not be surprised about and other ones I think maybe uh, are, are a bit of a, a surprise, um, maybe something you don't necessarily think about, like as you said with the breakfast cereals um, being you know higher in sodium. Um, one that I think is a surprise to people that's in the salty six is bread. Um, so breads and rolls is one of the highest sources of sodium in our diet. Um, and the reason for that is we often eat bread in pairs. So you think about, oh, I might have a sandwich for lunch or um, you know, a hamburger for dinner. You know, I've got two slices of bread there. So, so that's where something um, the sodium can add up. Um, and then often is a food that is present in our diet, you know, for, for perhaps all of our meals, maybe sometimes in a snack. Um, so it can certainly add up throughout the day. So bread and rolls would be one of the foods that is highest in sodium. Another is cold cuts. Um, and again, that's probably one many of your listeners have heard about. Um, we think about deli meat. That is something that sometimes we know is high in sodium. Um, 
And then another source, a third one would be sandwiches. So there we're putting kind of our bread, our cold cuts all together, and we've got a sandwich. And that's just a case where the ingredients are all fairly high in sodium. If we add something like a slice of cheese, which is also fairly high in sodium, that's gonna be another you know, higher source of um, sodium within our diet. Um, so that's three of them. Uh, four might be burritos and tacos. So if we think about the fillings for burritos and tacos, things like cheese, refried beans, again, tortillas, that, that bread product, um, those are all fairly high in sodium and you kind of put it all together and you, you've got a product that really packs quite a bit of sodium. Uh, five would be pizza. Pizza is something that Americans love and eat quite frequently. So we can see why that would be one of the top sources of sodium in our diet. And of course, if you think about a pizza, you know, it's got the cheese, which is high in sodium. Many times it's got some of those cured meats like pepperoni or salami um, that can also be high in sodium. And then oftentimes the crust or the bread um, is fairly high in, in salt as well. And then finally, number six, uh, again, one perhaps you might think about when you think about packaged foods that are high in sodium, um, soup, canned soups in particular tend to be fairly high in sodium unless you're purchasing a one that, that's listed as lower sodium. Um, and that is you know, related to what the manufacturer has added. And again, could be related to also some of the other ingredients such as a, a cured meat um, or some type of product that's higher in salt. So that's your salty six. Wow all the good stuff and you can't even eat it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the other question, I guess it's not part of the American Heart Association Salty Six, but um, you really notice high sodium levels in a lot of like um, the frozen foods, uh, frozen meals, and whether it's lunches or dinners or Chinese foods or any kind of foods for that matter. I, have you, uh, would you say that's true as well? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is something that um, I, I joked to my patients, I've been on a quest to try to find one of those frozen packaged meals because um, they're very convenient and, and very portion controlled, um, but absolutely, they're all quite high in sodium. And I unfortunately have not really found one that um, isn't, isn't fairly high. There, there's some that are better than others, I would say. And certainly by kind of keeping in mind some of those salty six things, we know something that's got a lot of cheese on it, or if it's got some cured meats um, in it are going to be higher in sodium, you know, we might be able to find some better options, but kind of uh, most of them uh, are, are going to exceed your sodium requirements if you eat them pretty regularly. I mean, even just buying a package of, of, you know, beef or pork or poultry and fish, is, is there actually uh, excess salt in these, these packages of these protein sources? Generally by themselves, there's not going to be um, a huge amount of um, sodium. There might be a bit used in the packaging, but nothing, um, you know, that's going to be very, very high. The issue there is more the marinades. Um, if you buy a type of chicken breast or, you know, some type of fish that has been pre-marinated, perhaps it's in a teriyaki sauce or something like that, um, typically very high in sodium. Um, so, so really making our own marinades are a better strategy for trying to reduce sodium in our diet with those protein sources. Okay, so if you just buy a package of meat or poultry or fish in and of itself, it's okay. It's more right. Yeah, what, what, usually what that can that can be um, still a helpful choice, but again, it's those pre-marinades that are the issue. Well, I wanted to turn now to shopping since you've scared us now with what we need to look for, and uh, we should be more cognizant of of what to know and and how to limit our, our um, salt intake. 
Tell us more about what we should know about sodium when reading these food labels, because it usually does say sodium uh, rather than salt. So help us understand that. And then, of course, they talk about serving sizes. And and then along with that also, should we compare the labels of the same or similar products? What, what would you what would you tell us? So label reading is, is definitely important when it comes to um, monitoring the sodium in your diet. You, you definitely want to take a look at that. Um, as we mentioned, you know, those packaged foods are, are some of the highest sources of sodium in our diet. So we want to take a look at that nutrition facts label um, and see what we're getting. Um, sodium is always listed by serving amount. Um, so one thing you want to take a look at from the start is what is the serving size for this product? Um, typically, you're going to see that at the very top of the nutrition facts label. And that's important because, um, you might look at something and, and look at the amount of sodium in it and think, oh, well, that doesn't sound too bad. But if you're not adhering to that serving amount, you really could be taking in quite a bit more. Um, give you an example. I've got a, a box of crackers here in my office and the serving size for this crackers is six crackers. Um, and the, the amount of sodium is about 140 milligrams. So 140 milligrams isn't too bad um, for crackers. However, am I actually eating six crackers? Because if I'm eating 12 crackers, obviously I have to do some multiplication um, and I'm going to be taking in quite a bit more sodium there. So we do always want to look at that serving size. That's important um, to make sure we know what that's going to be. Um, and I, I would say it's important to, to compare products. Um, one kind of uh, thing to remember with food manufacturers is when they take something out, they often add something else back in. So for many of your lower fat products, um, maybe some chips, um, if they're lower fat, they've taken some of that excess fat out and they often add sodium back in. So you, you sometimes will see two products where the sodium levels differ because one is low fat and the other is regular. So we wanna you know, look at that as well. Um, that, that's important to kind of think about. And I know for, for many of my patients, you know, we'll say, okay, let's, let's try to keep, you know, our sodium levels below 2,300 milligrams per day. And that really doesn't mean a lot. Um, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, add up milligrams of sodium, you know, for everything I'm eating. That's very laborious. So we talk about using uh, the percentage daily values as a rule of thumb. So when you're looking at a nutrition facts label in the right-hand column, you'll see percentages, something that might say, you know, 6%, 9%, different numbers there. Um, that is based on a 2000 calorie diet. So that's not always appropriate for every person. However, we can still use those percentage daily values to quickly determine if a product is high or lower in sodium. So something that's close to about 5% would be considered lower in sodium, whereas something more like 15, 20% of that percentage daily value would be considered high. So again, if I gonna go back to that example of the box of crackers I have here in my office, it's got 5% um, listed by that 140 milligrams of sodium. So that's not too bad, it's, it's a little closer to low. Whereas if I had another product and perhaps it said, you know, 18%, we know that's going to be a little high in sodium. So just kind of a quick, you know, rule of thumb to follow when you're trying to figure out, is this product appropriate for me in terms of sodium intake? I was also just, I wanted to drill down a little bit on the serving size. I mean, if you look at a particular package or whatever, how is that serving size determined? Because a serving size for me as a woman might be different than, say, my husband, who is a man, and, uh, you know, based on his size and, and, and weight, he, he would need a larger size. So how do they determine that serving size? 
Right. It, it really kind of depends um, on the product. And um, that is something that has actually changed in the, the last few years with Nutrition Facts labels um, because it was confusing to people. And oftentimes the serving size was really not realistic. Um, it, it was not something that, that people would typically eat. So, um, you know, I, I think for some products, we've seen something that's more appropriate. Now, I think the downside for many food manufacturers is they've realized that that's increased the calories because, of course, the serving size has increased. That's increased the amount of sodium. Perhaps it's increased the amount of um, fat in the product. And so it doesn't look as healthy, but, you know, it is more accurate for the consumer. So it does give you, you know, a, a bit more information there. Um, as I said, you know, many of that is based on that 2000 calorie diet, which may or may not be appropriate for, for each person. Um, so that is something, you know, to probably talk to your doctor or your dietitian, if you work with someone on that, as to what your amount of calories per day is appropriate. Um, but we definitely want to look at that serving size and, you know, make sure it's actually what we're eating. I think that's the most important part of it at all um, is to make sure that, you know, this is what the serving size on the label is and what am I actually eating? How does that correspond? All right. Well, now we want to get into the good part about grocery shopping. And uh, what we want to hear from you, who is the expert, are what are some helpful tips about sodium? What, what do we need to know when we go to the grocery store now that we've gotten all this information? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we want to kind of think about what works for us. Um, you know, when we're talking about where the sources of sodium in our diet are, as we said, a lot of that's coming from packaged foods. So thinking about, you know, how often you possibly could make some things from scratch. Um, you know, if you think about something like salad dressing, salad dressings typically can be quite high in, in sodium, um, a lot of salt added in the manufacturing process, but salad dressings are not really that difficult to make. Um, it, it's actually fairly simple to make a, a basic vinaigrette with perhaps some olive oil, um, you know, some type of vinegar, maybe a bit of um, spices or herbs um, and have that at home. And that's just one way that you really could reduce the sodium in your diet if you're someone that tends to eat, you know, salads pretty regularly. Um, so I think trying to think about, you know, what can I make from scratch? That is going to be a, certainly a good way to, to reduce the sodium because you can control then how much um, salt is being added. Um, as we talked about earlier, trying to make your own marinades can also be fairly simple. Um, you know, certainly it's convenient to buy a product that's already marinated, but if we put a little bit of effort into it and kind of a little bit of meal preparation, we can also make our own marinades and make those a little bit more healthfully. And then I think, um, trying to flavor our foods with, um, you know, other products such as, you know, citrus, like lemon or lime, trying to use herbs and spices, um, vinegars, those are all a good way to, you know, add flavor without adding a lot of extra salt in there. Uh, in the grocery store, sometimes you will see some products that are listed as um, low sodium or reduced sodium, and, and those can be good options, um, you know, different kind of label requirements that go along with that. But that could be also a good way when you're kind of, you know, looking at the shelves, okay, let me try to choose perhaps um, a chicken broth that's um, low sodium versus one that's full sodium. Um, let me perhaps buy, you know, some of those canned foods, which can oftentimes be high in sodium by selecting something that's no salt added. Um, and if you can't find that, you can also, you know, rinse some canned vegetables or canned beans to help reduce the amount of salt. That's going to cut it down by about a third. So certainly trying to buy them as low sodium as possible in the first place. And then when you're not able to do that, to try to, um, you know, make some modifications to reduce the sodium. 
And thank you for mentioning about low sodium or, or, or less sodium. One thing that always comes to mind is, is soy sauce, which seems like it is over the top, or even some of these products that you make soup with uh, uh, is just uh, amazing how high they are in salt. So, But then they do have less sodium or low sodium. So obviously one should choose that always rather than the high sodium um, right from the start. W would you agree? I agree. Like you said, kind of starting from the beginning uh, of having a, a lower sodium product, you know, particularly if you're going to be using it in conjunction with something else that might have sodium, that's going to add more to it. So at least trying to buy that lower sodium version, um, you know, something that's reduced sodium is going to be at least 25% less sodium than the regular products. We know it's less now, perhaps it's still fairly high in sodium, but at least it's going to be less than the regular product. Um, so, so that can be an option. Okay. And you had mentioned earlier about restaurant dishes and, and, I think what you told us, Lisa, was that usually restaurant dishes or are more likely to be high in sodium. Would would you say that? Yes, yes, that that is the case. Um, you know, so if we kind of look at it, it it's estimated that about twenty five percent of the sodium in American diets come from restaurant foods. Um, so so you know a lot of us aren't going out to restaurants right now, but you know certainly doing a lot of takeout. Um, so it still can be a, a part of our diet and and definitely um, add to the sodium throughout the day. So the same kind of um, strategy I think as we use at the grocery store. You know, trying to reduce the sodium from the start. Um, you know, so perhaps ordering something to be prepared without salt or asking for that sauce um, or dressing to be served on the side. So you have some control over how much of it you're using. Um, many chain restaurants will have the sodium information listed online. So you can go and look ahead of time and see which dis dishes might be uh, perhaps a bit lower in sodium. Um, and then again, I would say going back to that salty six, you know, thinking about what you're ordering. Are you ordering, you know, something that has a lot of bread? Are you ordering something that has a lot of cheese or cured meats on it? Um, we know that's going to be higher in sodium. So if you want to try to reduce some of the sodium when we're eating out, try not to choose those items as frequently. Well, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about MSG, monosodium glutamate. Uh, we've heard so much about it. In fact, I think there used to be a product called Accent. I think that was it. But is it still being used? Tell us, first of all, what it is and how it's being used. And uh, are you, have you seen often or heard often about people having adverse reactions to MSG? So yeah, it is still used. Um, it, basically, MSG is um, the sodium salt of glutamate, and glutamate is an amino acid um, that, that's found in protein-containing foods. Um, so it's something that naturally occurs in, in some protein-containing foods like cheese and, and milk um, and fish. Um, and then it's uh, MSG is sometimes used as a flavor enhancer and, and is added to um, some foods. Um, it's not an allergen, so it's not something that's listed as some of the most common sources of, of allergy, um, and it is regarded by the FDA as safe. Um, now, some people are sensitive to it. Um, you know, some people will say that if they have foods that have MSG in it, they, they will notice a reaction to them. Um, I certainly see it used in marketing, you know, MSG-free um, um, doesn't necessarily mean it's um, healthier or it doesn't necessarily mean it has no sodium at all. It just means it doesn't have that particular type. Um, and, you know, I think I see as opposed to having an actual allergy to it, perhaps more a sensitivity um, and needing maybe to be a little bit more careful about how much of it you eat at one sitting. Yes, I do understand. I actually had an adverse reaction to MSG at a at a restaurant in uh, Italy, 
and mm. it was awful. I felt like the back of my head was on fire. So <laughs> it was. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to ask you about MSG. So so it sounds more like it's not going to be permanently harmful. It's just something to be avoided if you realize you have a sensitivity. Is that correct? That's right. Perhaps asking some questions, looking at some labels um, to see what's in there. So now you had told uh, our listeners about the fact that it's more likely that you would individuals be um, more likely to add less salt in dishes made at home. What what is your experience uh, in terms of when you you talk with your um, your patients uh, and and what kinds of stories do they tell? Are they more likely to um, use less salt? I think so. As people have become more aware of it, you know, it, it's certainly I think um, one of I think one of the issues we have is um, we don't, again, have as much control over those packaged foods and foods we order from restaurants, um, whereas at home we have lots more control. So, so you know, trying not to keep that salt shaker right on the table can certainly be a way of adding less salt to foods and exploring ways to add flavor um, outside of, um, you know, just adding salt to a product, trying to use other flavor enhancers there. Um, I think one thing that's a little confusing to people is the different types of salt out there. Um, I know I have many of my patients that like to use things such as um, sea salt and um, thinking that might be healthier. Um, it isn't necessarily lower in sodium though, um, particularly if we consider it by weight. Um, you know, sea salt is basically just a, a different type of salt that has larger crystals. Um, some types of sea salt have different colors and perhaps have a, a bit of trace minerals such as magnesium, but bottom line is they still have um, salt in them. It's still a source of sodium in our diet. So I, I would say, you know, no matter what type of salts you have at home, um, certainly trying to, to moderate that is important. And I do think many of my patients, um, you know, try to do that because as I said, they've got more control when you're doing it at home. And it, and the example that you were using also, is that the same? I've sometimes seen something called light salt, L-I-T-E, is that yet another example of, of what you're talking about in terms of possible examples of healthier uh, salts? So light salt's a little different. Um, when we think about sea salt, that, that's still um, similar to table salt in that it's still also going to have that, that sodium chloride in it. Light salt oftentimes has potassium chloride. So some of that um, sodium or, or all the sodium um, has been replaced by potassium. Um, it still has a, a bit of a, a saltier um, type of flavor and people use it in, in place of salt. Um, I, I will say in my experience, some of my patients complain it has a metallic taste. Um, so they, they don't necessarily like it, <laughs> um, find that that's um, something a little off-putting. Um, but then some people don't mind it, and they, they do find that to be um, a good replacement um, for your typical table salt that's just the sodium chloride that's more going to be potassium chloride. And, and can you get those different examples that you were talking about, like at a regular like Safeway or Giant, or do you have to go to a, a special store um, if people were interested in, in finding those? Yeah, you can find those at most grocery stores. Sometimes they're marketed under, um, I think the, the one you mentioned, the light salt, I think, I believe it's Morton's um, has a light salt. Um, I believe there's one called uh, New Salt, um, NU Salt, I think is what it's called, um, which again is a potassium chloride. Um, the only thing I would caution your listeners a little bit on that is, um, you know, just running that by your doctor. There are some um, hypertension medications, ACE inhibitors in particular, that um, can be, we can have some interference with using some of those um, potassium chloride substitutes. So that will be something that if you do take um, hypertension medication, you might want to talk to your doctor um, before using those products. 
And I know that we're running out of time here, but I just wanted a quick, two quick more questions. Uh, can you give us any examples of, of reduced or no sodium alternatives that are just as good but, and maybe have the taste, but not the dangers? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of salt-free um, different types of herb blends. I, I think probably many people are familiar with Mrs. Dash, which is a great one. Um, lots of different flavor combinations there um, to use for, for different types of cuisines. Um, if you're familiar with the, the Penzi Spice Company, um, they also have a number of salt-free different types of herb blends. So kind of what we're doing at home, you know, trying to enhance flavor with the herbs and spices, but a little more convenient. Um, you can certainly buy it in a little canister um, and you can use it for different products. There's some that are geared more toward perhaps your Tex-Mex cuisines and some that are more for Italian foods or um, Asian foods. Um, so you, you get the convenience without having a lot of extra salt in those types of herb blends. And those kinds of alternatives you could also find at the grocery store. Absolutely. Yes. Mrs. Dash, you can find at the grocery store. Pensies, um, you can order online. Um, and, and that's, um, you know, a number of different options there. I wouldn't probably see that at the grocery store, but it is something you could order online. Okay. And then the final question, Lisa, just what would you recommend are the best resources to learn about salt and sodium? Where would you tell us to look? I think the American Heart Association, which is um, heart.org, uh, has a great website for sodium. Um, got some really practical tips, um, recipes, you know, a lot of good information, I think, if you want to learn more about this and, and also um, find some, some good recipes to try. Um, if you want to kind of drill down a little bit more on things such as the label reading, um, the FDA has some good information on that um, as it relates to sodium, but just general label reading um, as well. And their information also is in, in Spanish, so that can be useful. Um, and then finally, I would say the National Kidney Foundation. Um, they've got a, a list of tips for um, reducing sodium in cooking and reducing sodium when eating out. Um, so that could be another great place to look when you're trying to get some more details. And how can they get in touch with you if they would like to um, work with you in terms of uh, nutrition? Sure, we, we do work with patients that are, um, you know, trying to reduce sodium in their diet, perhaps um, get their hypertension in, in better control, as well as a number of other nutrition related um, conditions. Um, they can go to the Virginia Hospital Center website, and that's um, virginiahospitalcenter.com. And if you want to go directly to our page, that's virginiahospitalcenter.com backslash diabetes. And that will provide information on um, you know, our program as well as how to schedule an appointment with one of the educators um, and registered dietitians in our office. And I would put in a plug for you, Lisa, that you were on my show earlier talking about diabetes. And, and so uh, people look back on uh, earlier Aging Matters programs. There's one that you were my guest and talked about diabetes and nutrition and that. So I really want to thank you uh, for being on the program today. Again, Lisa Murris with the Virginia Hospital Center Outpatient Diabetes and Nutrition Program. And by the way, if you want to learn about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com. And by visiting this site, you'll learn about all Aging Matters radio and TV show content and the Aging Matters podcast, which this program will be on later uh, on Apple and Spotify. And you can also subscribe to the Aging Matters monthly email newsletter and get updates about all radio shows, and TV episodes that are upcoming. 
Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, which you can learn more about by logging on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org.